This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. I am Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller, but Steve's going to take a back seat for a little while because I'm going to play a recorded interview that I did on Friday, I think. Yeah, on last Friday with Justin Mello of the Draft Network. It was really good. It was a little long. We played a good chunk of it on Sports Talk on Friday, but there's a, a lot of it left, a lot of interesting topics to mine. So here's that. Enjoy. Jeff Nowak, WWL Radio Saints sideline reporter. We're bringing in Justin Mello, senior draft analyst with the Draft Network. Going to talk some senior bowls, some prospects. Always a fascinating time of year for the Saints in particular because you could talk about the senior bowl. There's always a lot of prospects there, but the Saints always seem to end up with at least one or two senior bowl prospects every year. I think I did the math last year. I added it all up. And going back to 2000, they've picked something like 53 senior bowl participants. Sometimes it's in the first round, like a Marcus Davenport or a Peyton Turner. Sometimes it's in in the mid rounds. Sometimes it's, we scouted this guy three years ago and now he's a free agent. We're bringing him in. The Colin Saunders, Nathan Shepard, Tano Passanio, those were all senior bowl guys that they got a second pass at and brought him in. And so I guess, you know, Justin, what makes the senior bowl such a useful event for some of these teams because you don't see the top end guys like Caleb Williams isn't there, you know, but you do end up with Bo Nix, Michael Penix, guys like that who, you know, you just need a closer look at. And I'm just curious, like, what is it about the Senior Bowl that does lead to that? Because there are a ton of players picked out of the Senior Bowl every year. Well, I think it's the unprecedented access that that teams get to prospects at the Senior Bowl. I mean, if you've ever been there, it's an open hall event, essentially, right? Where the best of the best, the entire league essentially flocks down there for one week and uh, certainly they've made changes and credit Jim Nagy because I think that uh, a testament to the job that he's done running that game um, certainly I, I spoke with a lot of you know scouts and, and different members of around the league that will tell you the interview process helps a lot I think that's why you see so many players get drafted I mean of course the talent that's down there every year speaks for itself but the way that they've made changes to the interview process to be a bit more intimate uh, they don't run as late as they used to so teams are finding 
training. You get a lot better time with the prospects. You're getting them in better moods. You know, at the combine, when you've got that interview process, guys are tired, right? They've been running through drills. They've been running all week. I just find the Senior Bowl leads to a bit more of a comfortable environment for them. Uh, And I think that's partially why teams get so much more comfortable with prospects down there. And that's why, again, in addition to all the talent that's there, uh, that's why you see so many of them drafted on a yearly. I think last year they passed 100 guys or something along those lines that were drafted. And this is the 75th year anniversary of the Senior Bowl. So there was certainly a lot of added incentive for them to put on one hell of a show. And and that's exactly what they're going to do. Yeah, I think that is interesting because everyone wants to talk about the first round and all these top end players, but the bulk of your roster is made up of these mid round guys, these fringe guys that you have to develop over time. Uh, one change that the Senior Bowl made this year, and you know, a change they made last year was making sure that everyone knew that everyone's interviewing with everybody. You just can stop tweeting so and so met with this team because they're all meeting with everybody. Um, but this year, one of the changes is juniors are now allowed to participate, which is kind of weird. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a rebranding down the road because it doesn't really make sense anymore when you're talking about it. It is also weird because typically you'd be saying, well, if you're a junior and you're coming out early, it's because you're a top-end prospect and top-end prospects probably aren't ending up in Mobile. So I don't know how big that number will be, but I'm just curious what you see in that and do you think that's going to be an like a, like a notable change and are there any juniors there this year that are worth keeping an eye on? There are a lot of them. And, and and again, credit to Jim and his staff. They were they were fairly choosy about sort of keeping the game the, the way it's been structured, right? This is for seniors. So they were very choosy with which type of juniors they invited. But I'll give you one example of how it is going to benefit the senior bowl. It's going to benefit the level of competition. Uh, Oregon center Jackson Powers Johnson is a junior that's going to be attending this year. A lot of teams got a first round grade on this guy. I think he's the best pure overall center in the draft. I say pure overall because Graham Barron out of Duke, you know, there's some rumors he might be a center. And if so, he'll probably contend for that center one, um, you know, title. But I look at a guy like Jackson Powers Johnson, who's one of the best junior, you know, prospects in this class. Um, and he accepted it. And there are others, uh, you know, Penn State cornerback Kalen King is a guy teams are very excited to get a closer look at. You know, he's someone that I think entered the year with a lot of first round buzz, maybe didn't have the season that he thought he was going to have and and now there's you know some second and, and third round chatter surrounding his name so it's going to be very very beneficial to a lot of these juniors who want to clean some things up uh, get in front of these teams maybe improve their draft stock and it's also beneficial to Jim and the senior bowl uh, because they're getting so uh, they're getting to choose from a better overall pool of players right anytime you expand the pool of players uh, you're going to end up with better so I think you know I, I spoke with uh, Jackson Powers Johnson who I decided to single out a couple of weeks ago that interview is live now on the draftnetwork.com and he spoke to me about how honored he was to be one of the first juniors ever to receive and accept an invite to this game so certainly it's a change we're all gonna have to get used to it uh, but at the end it benefits all parties involved yeah, and while, while I'm thinking about it, you know, if you if you're looking for basically a running feed of all of the information you feel like you need to know about the Senior Bowl, go follow Justin on Twitter. It's at Justin M underscore NFL. I was scrolling through there, coming up with some questions for this interview, and it was like, oh, I wonder about this guy. Oh, look, there's a thing about Michael Pratt. Okay, we're gonna not mark that one down. You keep going, but I do want to shift gears and talk a little about the quarterbacks because one of kind of the wild cards every year at the Senior Bowl is whether there are actually quarterbacks there worth really taking the time to 
talk about. You know, last year, the biggest name was Hendon Hooker, but he didn't really play. He was just there to interview. You know, you had guys like Jake Hayner, Clayton Toon, but nothing, no one that really kind of made you excited. Well, this year you get Bo Nix and Michael Penix, two guys who are older, even by senior bowl standards. They'll both be 24 by the time next season rolls around. So this evaluation to me is super important for them because this is their first kind of jumping off point of like a team deciding whether you're the guy or not, right? Whether they think you can bring you in like a Jordan Love type, you know, are you going to be that fringe first round pick where they plan to bring you in and, and let you learn behind somebody for a year or two? Or do you end up in the third round where it's kind of like, yeah, well, maybe we'll give him a shot and and who knows? Like the Malik Willis's or the, or the Kenny Pickett's or not. Actually, that's a bad example. I'm thinking more of like a Will Levis. Where is your kind of read on both of these guys? And do you think maybe they could be first round picks? Where do you see them landing in general? First of all, you know, credit again, credit to Jim and his staff, because this year's crop of quarterbacks is outstanding and it's significantly better than it was last year. I think Jim uh, would probably admit that last year's, you know, they didn't have a whole lot of selection right from the quarterbacks that they were able to pull. It wasn't one of their strongest years from a quarterback perspective. Well, this year you want to talk about a bounce back. It is one of the best years I, I think we'll ever see um, at the senior bowl. You, uh, even other, you know, you've talked about Michael Pratt. That's one that's really intriguing in the middle rounds. Certainly would Bo Nix and Michael Penix. One thing I want to point out, I wondered, you know, how the coaching staff and, and, and Mr. Nagy, how they would sort of um, use these guys. Are they going to put them on opposite teams so we could watch them go up against one another? Well, I thought the idea was brilliant. They ended up putting them on the same team so they would throw right after one another in throwing drills. So no short-term memory loss. You want to compare one to the other? Well, you're going to see one follow up the other throughout the entire week when it comes to those practice drills. I thought that was really, really really smart and, and shrewd. Um, I, you know, I think both guys are, are fringe first rounders. We certainly know how quarterbacks can rise throughout the process. With Michael Penix Jr., I, I think the bigger question, it's, it's not so much the age thing. I've seen that floated around. Teams don't care about that as much, especially at quarterback when, you you know, you're, you're not a running back, right? It's not a, We're not talking about a 26-year-old running back here where you worry about the tread on the tires. No, quarterbacks can play well into their mid to late 30s and play at a high level. Certainly the medicals, you know, you know, with back to back injuries in his past. Uh, I think they want to see how they, how he throws in this controlled environment. And then even with Bo Nix being the dual threat guy that he is. Talking about a guy that's shown so much growth throughout it. I mean, it's a different quarterback at Oregon than it was at Auburn, right? So I think both of them have first round potential. If, if, you know, we know quarterbacks climb, um, up big boards throughout the pre-draft process, I'd be a bit more comfortable probably in the early portion of the second with them personally. I think I still got a couple questions I'd like to see them answer at the senior bowl, but that's the beautiful thing about Mobile and the competition at Foster's. If they both go down there and they have an outstanding week, uh, in the interview room, Room, throw in the ball. They look accurate. They throw with anticipation. Um, you know, I think, you know, Penix maybe shows some of that off script stuff that, that teams want to see from him. Uh, I think certainly you could talk about both of them exiting that week as a bona fide first round prospects. Yeah. And I think it's like, okay, are you a first round prospect in terms of the teams that are there now? Or, and then there's a second question. Are you a first round prospect in terms of the teams that have the ammunition to go trade up to 31 or 32, you know, <laughs> where these are good teams that, that are just kind of, you know, re, kind of rebuild some out. Anyway, I, it is interesting. I think that's where you get a lot of that evaluation. One guy you mentioned, Michael Pratt is obviously inter interesting locally in new Orleans. He went to Tulane. Personally, I never kind of saw him. I, I've watched him play for a couple of years now. He's, 
been very good in the American Athletic Conference. I've never seen him and said, wow, that's an NFL quarterback. But, you know, as you look and you see a lot of these evaluations are saying, you know, second, third, fourth round pick. And I'm just curious, so what did you see from him? I know you've dove in there pretty in depth. What have you seen from him that makes you think, OK, this guy could definitely be a pro first and second? What does he need to show to kind of grow to that? Because it's like you're not talking about a guy who played against SEC competition even this year when they lost to Ole Miss, he didn't play. So I think that's a big question for me is how would he hold up against the Alabamas or the Georgias? You just really never found out. Well, I think he's going to have a bit of an opportunity like, you know, to address that question at the Senior Bowl, not only in the interview room, but certainly on the practice field. You know, even one-on-one drills, he'll be testing corners that played at Georgia and Penn State. And, 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 and so you'll be able to test some of that ball placement and accuracy against some of the best corners in the nation. Uh, uh, one thing I want to point out about uh, Michael Pratt before I forget uh, that I think will be very interesting to your uh, listener base. Uh, when I did the profile for with him on this on the draft network, I asked him about a quarterback um, maybe that he reminds himself of, and it may qualify as a bit lofty for for folks down there in New Orleans. But he said himself that he had a coach uh, on staff there at Tulane that was previously with the New Orleans Saints that said his toughness reminded him of Drew Brees. You know that there are a lot of times Drew was dealing with an injury and may have played through something and they saw a lot of that in Michael Pratt um, at Tulane so certainly I think that's one that'll you know perk the ears up of, of uh, New Orleans Saints fans but I think he's a guy that uh, that commands an offense he's got exceptional football IQ uh, I think he's extremely accurate. I think the big question for him, a f- funny sort of like Drew Brees, is going to be some of the physical traits, the, the arm strength, the arm velocity. Uh, and and does he have, you know, like Drew did, sort of the football IQ and the command to offset some of that stuff with, you know, by throwing with great anticipation and being a great, you know, pre-snap reader that leads to post-snap execution. So I think he'll have a chance to address some of those questions, but uh, he's a quarterback that I'll be watching very closely. Yeah, I imagine the, the coach you're talking about is Dan Roshar because he was obviously Obviously, the Saints tight ends coach for a long time went over to Tulane this offseason. So he would, yeah, he would definitely have. Uh, I mean, he had a bunch of different positions on the Saints stuff, but he would definitely have a good idea in terms of comparing a guy to Drew. So that's an analysis I would trust, generally speaking. Um, but, you know, let's just uh, kind of shifting gears again, you know, that this, and this is the senior bowl, right? Like you watch, I'm very happy about what you're saying in terms of Bo Nix and Michael Penix throwing back to back, because that can be one of the difficult things is like, there's only so many places your eyes can be at one time. And so, well, you know, obviously the quarterbacks are of interest, but so are the big guys, the offensive tackles, the offensive line, because the Saints have a glaring needed offensive tackle. One of the reasons is, you know, the Trevor Penning pick, who obviously was a big senior bowl name from a couple of years ago. He has not necessarily panned out. They haven't given up on him, but he's definitely not taken over that job the way they probably hoped. And some of that's due to injuries or whatever. Either way, the Saints are going to be going there again saying, OK, who can we who can we pull out of here? that could maybe step into a starting offensive tackle role. They pick at number 14. So you're kind of right there. This is a very tackle-heavy draft in general. Um, so I'm guess, I just my question is, of the guys who are there who might be available at 14, is there anyone that you could see the Saints really taking a close look at and maybe targeting when the draft rolls around? Well, well, there are at least you know two or three of them that come to mind. Uh, number one uh, is the uh, Talies Fuaga, the right tackle at Oregon State. Now, if you're looking for a left tackle, I think he'll probably be better served staying on the right. But we might be talking about the best tackle that's going to be in attendance at the Senior Bowl. He's extremely powerful. He's a mauler in the run game. He's an easy mover on his feet considering his mammoth size. Re- we'll remind you a little of Dewan Jones at the Senior Bowl last year, at least from a size perspective. Uh, so that he's probably the best tackle in attendance. 
contenders. One that I think, you know, and the Saints fans might say, oh, that, that sounds like a reach to me. But one guy that I think is going to go a lot higher than people realize, and he is scheduled to attend the Senior Bowl, is Oklahoma left tackle Tyler Guyton. I, I, Tyler Guyton, and I, I don't say this lightly, he might have the highest upside of any tackle in this class. And I know who the other tackles are in this class. He is just that much of a freak athlete. He is as easy as a mover as you'll see on tape. Now, some of the technical stuff is still a work in progress. He is a little raw, but you get him in with the, in the right place with the right O-line coach, you work through some of those kinks. I mean, the baseline traits are just outstanding. I, I think we're talking about a first round pick all day long. I'll be stunned if he doesn't go in the first round. And I, I do think he can go as high between that sort of 14 to 20 range. He really is uh, that good. Uh, another guy, 14 might be a little rich, but I do view him as a first round pick is Arizona Wildcats tackle Jordan Morgan. I don't think he's getting enough attention in this class. This is a really good, technically sound player, and he's a left tackle through and through. That that's not a guy that you're you'd be asking to move positions out there in New Orleans. Even in maybe a trade back scenario, you know, if they feel 14's a little rich, you come down to 2025. All of a sudden, it's not too early for Jordan Morgan, in my opinion. So I think those three tackles are, in my uh, the best that are going to be in attendance. But there are a lot of guys that are going to garner consideration in the second round, too. You know, if the Saints decide they want to wait and then maybe just add competition for Trevor Penning. You know, Patrick Paul out of Houston's another guy that has all the traits, extremely long arms. He's exciting a lot of scouts right now. Uh, one guy that's very underrated is uh, Dominic Pooney from Kansas. A bit of a lesser-known prospect because he was playing, like, at, at, at I think Central Missouri a year ago, like a, and then, you know, transferred to Kansas this past year, had a really good year. He's getting a lot of buzz. He might be a candidate to kick inside, but that's another example of a really talented sort of underrated tackle that's going to be in attendance. So a lot of good tackles this year, but if I was focused on first round picks, if I was the Saints, I would maybe look at Talis Fuaga and I'd certainly look at Tyler Guyton and Jordan Morgan. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We actually, so on the on the podcast, uh, we did a, our first mock draft this week and Fuaga was the guy I ended up with at 14. And at that point, I was just kind of going in a little blind. You know, I was kind of doing more of a value pick than anything else. And he ended up there and I looked him up and I was like, you know what, this, may, this would make a lot of sense, even though he's a right tackle. I think one of the reasons the Saints have a glaring need is because Ryan Ramchek is a guy who you cannot maybe trust beyond this year in terms of his knee kind of gave out on him at the end of last season. So that's probably the biggest concern is not only Trevor Petting, it's that you might be looking for both a left tackle and a right tackle. So I don't mind a guy who's going to stick on the right side. But, you know, you look at the measurables, you look at kind of the tape and it's like, okay, I could see it. And then you look in at the list of senior bowl invites, and you're like, oh, okay, now we're cooking with grease. So I think that's interesting. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned him because I'm very much looking forward to to seeing him. But, you know, kind of just taking a broader view here, uh, and I know you posted something uh, along these lines recently, so I, I have a feeling I know a couple of your answers already. But, you know, just in terms of guys at the senior bowl that not necessarily tackles, you've already gone through a lot of the tackles, but guys that you think probably aren't getting talked about enough that we're going to get into this draft process and they're going to end up being names that uh, rise up people's boards because they're just kind of getting undervalued right now. 
Well, I am going to give you a couple of names probably from that article you may have read, but I doubt all your listeners have read it, so I might as well round them off. Uh, one guy that, and, and this should interest your local base once again, is Jaquan Jackson from Tulane, right? I probably don't have to tell your listeners too much about him, but this guy is an exceptional exceptional dynamic playmaker in space, right? Talk about a guy that accounted for a, a close to 1,500 yards in, in kickoff and punt returns throughout his career, had a punt return for a touchdown. Uh, you you want to talk about an immediate contributor that's going to start on special teams, return kicks, return punts. I think he's that guy. And then I think there's a lot of untapped potential uh, wide receiver for him. I spoke to actually several scouts and he told me this first. So And, and I, I, I fact-checked him on it and, and found out he was telling the truth. There are some scouts that have compared him to Zay Flowers at wide receiver. They just think he's that twitchy and explosive. So I think, he, you know, you look back at last year's Senior Bowl, Jaden Reed, Tank Dell, Rasheed Rice, receivers that made themselves a lot of money throughout that week of practice by getting open and catching the ball. Jaquan Jackson's kind of fits that bill. And and by the way, roommates for the past four years, obviously not this past year, but the four previous ones with Tajay Spears, another Tulane playmaker that made a lot of money for himself at the Senior Bowl. He showed out in the drills and got drafted maybe a bit higher than, than people initially thought he was going to. Uh, and then another guy I'll give you is Dwayne Carter, a defensive tackle out of Duke, who I think is an active three-down lineman um, across 21 and 2020. Showed a lot of pass rushing potential, combined for 10 sacks in those two seasons. He's an outstanding run stopper. He could play every position from like zero tech to five tech on the D line. Duke asked him to do that. I think he settles in at three tech at the next level, which will be music uh, to a lot of teams' ears because you're always looking for dominant, you know, three techs. Uh, Dwayne Carter, someone that really, really intrigues me. Active hands. And, and by the way, extremely mature, the most organized uh, individual I came across throughout doing my senior bowl series that I I spoke to 51 guys uh, no one I think was quite as mature and organized as Dwayne Carter was he is going to crush the interview process down there and oh yeah it helps he's a pretty damn good football player too <laughs> nice well okay so I, I have one more question and then I'll let you go it's not really senior bowl related but it's kind of tangentially related so stick with me you know you, know, you look around the NFL it's 32 teams you can go back to 2021 right 32 offensive coordinators in the NFL. Fast forward two years to this offseason, there is not a single one of those offensive coordinators that is still in that job, which is insane. All 32 teams have a different offensive coordinator in 2023 than they had in 2021. That's through a variety of reasons, right? Whether the OC got fired, whether the head coach got fired and the new guy brought in somebody new, whether that offensive coordinator got hired somewhere else. It's, you know, it all kind of combines into that. But I just think it's a it's ind- indicative of this more than ever short leash and change constantly in NFL coaching circles, coaching landscapes. And from someone who looks at prospects all the time and like, it's like one of the things that I think people underappreciate when you're talking about prospects is that not every, you know, those day one prospects. Yeah. They're expected to show up right away and sure they could develop and become elite, 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 but you feel like they're ready to go. Well, that's the difference between day one, day two, day three is day two, day three. These are guys who, you know, you're like, well, I think if he develops a little physically, if he develops a little mentally, right? If you can get him in the system and coach him up, he will be a pro. And how good he can be, that's a question, but you'll find out over time. Well, I don't think that it's hard to explain to somebody why three coaches in three years is not good for a young player. Look at Daniel Jones and all the different offensive systems he's had to learn. And he's just getting off of his rookie deal. Like that sets a guy back. And so my question for you as, you know, the draft network analyst hat, 
on your heads, right? How impactful do you think that is on young players? And with this fuse seeming to get shorter and shorter and shorter every year, do you think teams would benefit, some teams would benefit from staying the course a little longer, whether that be like, okay, you lost your offensive coordinator, elevate someone within the staff who can maintain that structure, or in the sense of like, well, our coach didn't give the returns that we thought after year one or year two, maybe we stick with him and see if that could continue. I just think one thing that drives me nuts about as these players get developed over time is like you quit on a guy and you never really gave him a chance. And when you're turning over the coaching staff every two years, that seems to happen more and more. I'm just curious where you land on that. I think this will be an appropriate answer to your question. But if if we're talking about from an offensive base um, perspective, offensive minded, especially, I think you've sort of seen the league respond to that. Um, certainly over the past years, and and especially in this hiring cycle, by 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 trending towards offensive minded head coaches. I think right. I, I think that's one way you can guarantee um, that, especially for a quarterback, that if you lose the offensive coordinator you're not going to be resetting it so much. And I'll give you an example from my own personal experience covering the Tennessee Titans, okay? Mike Vrabel, defensive-minded head coach, really, you know, good coach by all accounts. He gets the job in 2018. He hires a hell of an offensive coordinator. Who does he hire? Floor, right? What happens when you're a great defensive-minded head coach with a, a great offensive coordinator? You lose him. He lost Matt LaFleur after one year. He hired from within, tried to maintain that con- continuity by hiring Arthur Smith. He knocked that hire out of the park as well. What happened? He lost him too, right? At some point, you're going to make a mistake when that keeps happening. He made his mistake when he hired Todd Downing, right? He fired him after two years. This past year, he hired Tim Kelly. There were other issues. I thought Tim Kelly did a good job. Other issues with the team. But Mike Vrabel had four offensive coordinators in six years, right? By the time he ended up losing his job. That's just what happens when you're a defensive-minded head coach. So what do the Titans do? They hired Brian Callahan, an offensive-minded head coach who's going to install his system. Guess what? Doesn't matter if he loses offensive coordinator, right? Because that system's going to be in place because it's his system. It's not someone else's. You look around the league. The Los Angeles Chargers, they fired a defensive-minded head coach, right? They hired Harbaugh, an offensive-minded head coach. The Washington Commanders are probably waiting uh, for, for Ben Johnson, right, to become available, the offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions, right? The Atlanta Falcons are an exception. They hired Raheem Morris, but he's worked on the offensive side of the ball. One of those very few rare coaches that's worked. Of course, he's defensive minded, but he's got experience on the offensive side. And he was in that Washington staff in 2010 that had Mike McDaniel, Sean McVay, and everyone. And he just worked with McVay again. And he's probably bringing a McVay disciple to be his OC in Atlanta. Look at some of the coaches that shockingly have not been hired this cycle. We all thought Bill Belichick was a shoe in right? defensive-minded. When the Tennessee Titans fired Mike Vrabel, oh my God, Vrabel's going to get a job the second he gets fired. He hasn't gotten one. He got passed over potentially in Carolina for an offensive-minded head coach in Dave Canales with a lot less experience, right? So I think you can see what I'm saying here, how I'm answering your question. I think the league's response to that has sort of to make sure we are hiring more and more offensive-minded head coaches. So if we do lose our, our offensive coordinator, which happens all the time nowadays, because it's a, it's a pass-happy league, that system is still in place, and we're not asking our young quarterback like a Daniel Jones or a Will Levis. It happened to Justin Fields a lot in Chicago with a defensive-minded head coach and Matt Eberflus. 
that system stays in place and we can we have that continuity regardless of who the OC is. Because as you just said, that OC is going to change, right? 32 changes in two years. It's crazy to think about. Well, one way to offset that is to make sure the head coach has a system in place. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that. And then it's like, you're like, okay, the Saints have a defensive head coach. The Bucks have a defensive head coach. Like Raheem Morris, like, yeah, he has experience on the opposite side of the ball. But it's like the, almost the entire NFC South. And then Dave Canales over there in year one. Um, but it's, a, but it's, and that's an example of an offensive coordinator going to work for a defensive head coach and then immediately getting hired out from under him. So, and what just happened to Todd Bowles, right? Like you just said it, right? Todd Bowles just lost his after one good year, right? He loses Dave Canales after one good year. And it wasn't even that good. It was good. It was good, but it wasn't like, you know, 2016 Matt Ryan good, right? <laughs> like it was it was like, oh, you got a lot out of Baker Mayfield, and that's impressive. Good job. Right. I mean, I think I think he deserves a lot of credit in all honesty, based on, you know, that they sign a quarterback of four million base salary and you know, you get Baker Mayfield to play the way he did. I think that probably went a lot better than anyone thought it would, right? So I understand the appeal to Dave Canales. And I you know, I hope that job works out for him in Carolina. There was a lot of red flags and warning signs uh to not take that that job but sometimes you got to take your opportunity when it comes there's only 32 of them yeah i mean i think yeah, i think david tepper did a good job of of uh narrowing that field out when it, by throwing drinks on fans and firing head co- anyway but all right justin Mello, senior draft analyst for the draft network so a lot of great stuff on the senior bowl that's coming up on tuesday really appreciate the time man a, a lot of great information in there pleasure was all mine jeff thanks for having me on all right thanks again to justin Mello of the draft network always has so much in, insight to share. I always appreciate it because it's like, I'm like, oh, how, how many, who, who have you talked to from the, that's going to be the senior bowl that's, that you know, you're interested in? He's like, oh, I talked to about 57 people over the last three weeks. <laughs> what? How do you have that much time? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, a lot of interesting stuff. You know, one thing that he talked about there that toward the end that uh, we can get into as we kind of shift gears into the OC search, which would be the next segment is like, you know, the idea of having offensive minded head coaches. It makes a lot more sense when you think about it in terms of consistency. And, you know, we talked about Dan Campbell to open this episode. And I think one of the struggles for Dan Campbell now is going to be, okay, you built this culture and you established an offense that's very good and, and you're moving forward. But what happens when you lose Ben Johnson and you lose your offensive coordinator and then you got to replace him? Does it, does it fall off? Do you, do, can you maintain? And that's always going to be the struggle when you're not an offensive head coach. And, you know, you could say the opposite when you're a defensive head coach, you, you lose your, I mean, sorry, when you're an offensive head coach, you lose your defensive coordinator. But I just think the relationship in terms of offense, quarterback, play caller is so important. And that consistency is so important that being able to maintain that if you're a Kyle Shanahan is so much easier than a, a Dennis Allen for example, or a Todd Bowles. Like Todd Bowles is trying to replace his offensive coordinator. Both teams are trying to replace their offensive coordinators. One fired him and one got hired away to be a head coach. And how does that affect Baker Mayfield, Derek Carr, two guys that are veterans that have no continuity with whoever's going to replace them. And that's why you'll see a lot of quarterbacks coach be elevated. And that's why you'll see a lot of quarterbacks coach hired away from other teams. And I just think it is interesting. Like you talk about offensive coordinators being head coaches. And I think it's like partially because they make good head coaches, but also partially because it allows you to, especially for a young quarterback, you know, like if you're trying to develop a young quarterback and you give them three different offensive coordinators in three years, do you think that helps? No, too many, too many different chefs in the rest, you know, in the kitchen, as they say, uh, it'll be, 
interesting though because even if you just if you just have that quarterback's coach experience or another assistant role being elevated we've talked about this too being a first time offensive coordinator and having that responsibility on you it's kind of tough to have that much confidence you must have a hell of an interview to me to be able to lock lock that up with someone instead of like if you're coming through the ranks with an organization obviously they know you a lot better yeah right and and i think like that's why we you know we'll, we'll talk about it more but like there's a there's a lot of candidates that you could hire for the saints that it's like i think they could be a good play caller but i don't know right <laughs> you know we're basing this on like yeah he worked with you know a really good offensive coordinator and can bring a lot of those themes but they've never done it so you're kind of guessing and like we always talk about like i talked about this like everyone thinks like okay you can do this and it'll definitely work but what if it doesn't work like things don't always work the op the alternative is not always the right call just because the route you chose was the wrong one um and uh, i think that's you know we talk about it in fourth down situations we could talk about it in offensive coordinator hires all the same I think it is kind of amusing, too. I think there's a lot of fans out there panicking that the Saints are losing out on everybody. And it's just like, calm down, pump the brakes. I mean, I understand it. But, like, I think right now there are 12 offense coordinator openings. Um, so, I don't know. But, anyway, this was a Senior Bowl segment. And we've completely lost track. <laughs> but I do think, like, you're going to go out to the Senior Bowl and you're going to get a lot. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Saints hire someone during the Senior Bowl is what I'm saying. I think a lot of these hires kind of get get their skids greased there but anyway let's wrap up this segment we're going to come back we're going to give you the latest updates in the offensive coordinator search it'll be a quick segment we've already been on here forever but this is inside black and gold i'm jeff noak he is steve gellett if you haven't subscribed yet please do that we'll be right back